listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. Um, This morning we're going to continue um, in Luke. Um, We are going to be looking specifically at uh, Zechariah's prophecy or Zechariah's praise. It depends on how you want to think through this. Um, Both of those words apply um, very, very soundly to this text. It's Luke chapter 1 verses 67 through 80. Um, If you think as you're turning there, um, last week we looked at the birth of John the Baptist um, and the mercy of God and how we respond to the, the mercy of God, God's great mercy. We talked about how Elizabeth responded with, with joy or with rejoicing. Um, there was praise from Zechariah, that moment his, that he was able to speak again. He blessed God. Um, the crowd that was there, the friends and family were astonished. Um, there was a sense of awe and they talked about what they had seen and what they had heard. And the challenge is for us that when we experience God's mercy, and we experience it each and every day, that we have those same responses of rejoicing and praise and blessing um, to, to our gods. Now this morning, Zechariah is going to, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, kind of start giving commentary right, for us on what has happened and what has begun to take place um, and he's going to tie in uh, the work of God um, for the nation of Israel, but then he's going to tie in um, the work of God and his son and the work of God in providing the Messiah. And so this morning, I'm going to try really hard, um, don't panic, to not use the word Jesus in the sense that Zechariah didn't know all Zechariah knew in this passage, we have to think through this, is that God was sending someone. God was sending the Messiah. He didn't know who the Messiah was, right? We know, right? So, so we, have this, we have the privilege of knowing how the story ends, but Zechariah in this moment, as he's writing this, as he's giving these words, he doesn't know. All he knows is that God is working and moving, and his son John has a role to play in the Messiah. We know the Messiah is Jesus, right? I'm going to try not to, to make those jumps, but I'm going to make those jumps, right? But if I don't make those jumps, know that I'm doing that for a purpose, okay? Does that make sense? Don't panic. I still believe in Jesus. He is the Messiah. All those things, right? I'm trying to create the sense of how Zechariah would feel in, in this moment, right? In these words that Zechariah, we have from Zechariah, perhaps they reflect on what Zechariah said um, when he got his voice back. Remember in verse 64, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. So maybe this is capturing what Zechariah said when he was able to first speak, and these are the words that he spoke. Maybe the words that we have are answering the question that the crowd asked in verse 66, what then will this child be? Right? All we know right, is that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and that he prophesied. He spoke on behalf of, of God's. Before I get going too much further, I want to pause. I want to make sure we read this passage this morning. So I'd ask you to please stand uh, for the reading of God's words. 
And then I will, I will pray for us, and then we will have uh, fun this morning as we always do in the Word of God. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David's, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our gods, whereby the sun shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that we have this opportunity to be here and to gather. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your word, Lord, the treasure that your word is to us. Lord, I am thankful that you are a God who is faithful to his promises. Lord, that you are a merciful God. Lord, as we think this morning about your mercy, as we think this morning about your faithfulness, Lord, may may we never, ever take those things for granted. Lord, may we never, ever take your word for granted. Your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you would sanctify us in your truth. Lord, that we would know you better, um, deeper in our hearts. Lord, not just in our minds, but in our hearts this morning. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. So there's two ways that we're going to, there's two things that we're going to do here. We're just going to be looking primarily at verses 68 to 79. I've already kind of talked about verse 67 um, in the introduction, but verses 68 to 79 is the bulk of where we're going to spend our time this morning, and we're going to do it in two chunks, um, verses 68 to 75 and verse 76 to 79, right? And you'll see as as you look in your Bibles, if you look at the text, Right, the reason why we do that is because it's the blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Right, that starts the first section. The second section is, and you child. You can see there's a, a break here in what Zechariah is saying. But Zechariah is praising his gods right, for a couple reasons. Right, number one is the fact that God has visited and redeemed his people. Now, you'll notice that when Zechariah writes these words, as he speaks these words, right, he's writing as if all this has already been done, even though it hasn't been done, he's writing as if it's been completed, right? God's plan is a done deal. The future work of God is so certain, he's writing as if it's already happened, right? So that speaks right, right out of the gate to the faithfulness of God and how Zechariah views 
the work of his gods. And so he's blessing the Lord God of Israel, for God has visited and redeemed his people. God has appeared, and God is there to help his people. That's what that visited means. And you'll notice that that word visited appears again in verse 78. Right? That almost bookends this passage. God appearing to help his people. So Zechariah is making it abundantly clear right, that this is the work of God to visit his people and to help his people. And that means that he's redeemed his people. He's freeing his people. He's releasing his people from a very oppressive situation, from deliverance from enemies. This redemption, as we'll see as we move on here this morning, is both political and spiritual. Both of those are in play, and both of those are in play, and that shows us that Zechariah is praising his gods in expectation, although it's, he's writing it that's already been completed, about God's total deliverance for his people. It's fascinating to think about the confidence that Zechariah has in his gods. He didn't have that confidence about nine months ago, right, when Gabriel appeared to him in the temple and he questioned and he balked and he was disciplined for that and he couldn't speak and likely couldn't hear. But now he has such a confidence in his God, and he praises his God. He blesses his God in, in, in anticipation of complete deliverance. And this is accomplished by the raising up of a horn of salvation for us. It's inclusive language. Right? This visitation, this redemption is going to include a visitation of God's, and He's raising up somebody. He's raising up a horn of salvation. He's raising up somebody who is powerful, someone who has strength to deliver, someone who has the ability not just to deliver His people, but to protect His people from their enemies. Well, the only person that can possibly do that work, that raising up, is God's. God is going to raise somebody up. God is going to introduce somebody into the history of the world. God is going to introduce somebody into the history of His people that is going to be strong and powerful and dominant and protective. And this person is coming from the house of His servant, God's servant, David's. What does Zechariah understand here is that God is working in raising up the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah that has been promised for generation after generation after generation. He's finally close. And Zechariah senses this, this, this Davidic covenant that the, the, the throne will never come out of the line of David's. Is, is, is close to being fulfilled, right? And so now, see, we know the end of the story, right? And here, here's the challenge, because we know who that is, right? That's Jesus, 
But Zechariah doesn't know that it's Jesus. He just knows that the Messiah is coming and that he's really, really close. And this Messiah will have a power unlike any other. He'll have strength unlike any, any other. He'll be triumphant. He'll conquer. And He will bring salvation. And all of this happens, as verse 70 tells us, as God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old. That God raised up men for generation after generation after generation to proclaim His words. And although this may seem like this is a new activity and God raising up this person to meet this and to, to fulfill this prophecy, Zechariah is telling us that this isn't anything new. Now, this is just God fulfilling what He's promised from years and years and years and generation and generation ago. He's promised us this. It's not really new. He's just fulfilling what He has promised to His people. And these prophets... Were, they were holy. They were set apart. They weren't sinless, right? They were set apart by God to speak a message, right? And there was a long succession of these prophets, read your Old Testament, that faithfully spoke the Word of God to the people of Israel, and they proclaimed a singular message, right? It was a united message. It was about the work of God and saving and redeeming His people, and Zechariah sees this happening. And part of that message was the fact that they will be saved from their enemies. That we should be saved from the hands of our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. Right? There's that political feel. Right? Because Zechariah, as, long, as well as the whole entire nation of Israel, finds themselves under the thumb of Rome. They want to be delivered from that. They want to be saved from that. The oppression of Rome was very, very real. The people were looking to be freed from Rome. The enemies and those who hate us is a reference to the religious oppression that they were feeling, but it was, it was, it was, a, it was a reference to the, the political enemies. It was all those people that were opposing gods, that he was going to save them from their enemies, right? And Zechariah understands this, right? Zechariah is a righteous man. Zechariah is a priest. Zechariah knows the history of Israel. Some things he's probably happy about the history, other things not so much. But he knows the history of Israel. And he knows that ultimately the political salvation can't be separated from the spiritual. Because right? the reality is Israel finds itself oppressed by Rome because of their sin. And so the nation, the people of God, need both spiritual and political deliverance. 
Now, what, what Zechariah, I don't think, fully grasps here, and we, we know that the people didn't fully grasp this either, is that they expected the political deliverance to come first. But that's not what happens, right? And again, see, see we know how the story ends, right? And Jesus is going to bring that spiritual deliverance first. See, we know this, but Zechariah didn't know this. Right? We know how this ends, but Zechariah sees, okay, we'll be delivered politically, and then there's going to be the spiritual side. Jesus flips that. But there are four purposes as to why this raising up of the promised Messiah happens. Right? The first purpose right, is to show the mercy promised to our fathers. Right? And we, how many times have we heard the word mercy over the past several weeks as we've been going through just the first chapter of Luke? Right? And that, that mercy, right? That's God's loyal and compassionate, steadfast love for his people. That's mercy. It's not just a characteristic or a trait or an attribute of our God, it's who he is, but it's what he, what he does. He loves to show mercy. He loves to show mercy to people, that steadfast and compassionate love. And so the fact that he's raising up this horn of salvation to deliver them from their enemies and all those who hate them is to show his mercy. But it's a mercy that's been promised generation, generation to generation. And this deliverance that's coming, this Messiah that's coming, is just a clear display of the mercy of God. Second purpose is that he's, he's remembering his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father, Zechariah, says Abraham, right? God's faithfulness, God's mercy, right, reaches further back than David's. It goes back to, to Abraham and the promises and that God made, the covenant that God made with Abraham. And God's remembering that holy covenant. It's not that God forgot that covenant, right? It's that God is acting in light of that covenant, that God is going to fulfill what he promised to Abraham. And guess what? That's a clear display of the mercy of God's. This Messiah that's coming is not going to create a new religion. He's fulfilling the covenant promises of God. The third purpose is to grant us an opportunity. And He's granting us an opportunity because of the salvation that we have received. Verse 73, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Right? God's granting His people something, an opportunity. God's faithfulness, His mercy, His salvation is giving His people an opportunity to do something to act, to respond. 
He's giving them a choice. There's two choices on the shelf. You can use this with your kids, parents, grandparents too. I mean, you can use it with your kids, right? There's two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self, right? That's gold, right? Parenting gold. Like, drop that on them. They'll be like, oh, right? This is what's happening here. You have a choice, right? God is giving his people a choice. You have an opportunity. God has given us opportunities to make choices. We have free will. We can choose, right? He's giving his people an opportunity to make a choice, to seize an opportunity or to let it pass by. The fourth purpose, what is that choice? What is that opportunity that he's given us, that he's given his people, that we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days? That opportunity is to serve God all the days of our lives. It's a lifestyle of service. And, and with that service, right, is this idea of worship, right? It's a worship and service are tied so tightly together, right? And this is, this is the, the goal of the people. And, and Zechariah is seeing this, that because of the salvation that God has given to us, He has given us an opportunity, the salvation He's promised to our fathers, that as we're seeing being fulfilled right now, He gives us an opportunity, and that opportunity is to serve our God. There's the basic goal, and we do it because of what God has done for us and because of our salvation, right? Because of the gospel, we serve, but we serve, we serve, we serve without fear, and our service should be characterized by holiness and by Righteousness, our service should reflect an attitude that, that respects God's and, and that understands all that God has accomplished for us through His Messiah. And so we're obedient and, and, and we do what God commands us to do and how, who He calls us to be and how He calls us to act because we understand what God has done for us and it's a way to not just serve Him but worship Him. That's the opportunity that Zechariah says sits before the nation of Israel. And that's the same opportunity that sits before us each and every day. When we understand and we start to grasp what God has done, the mercy that God has shown us through His Son, Jesus, it should compel us and propel us to serve Him all the days of our lives in holiness, and in righteousness. It's a response to the gospel. God's saved us to, to, to serve Him, in a sense. Right? It's a beautiful picture of what it means to be in the, the kingdom of God and to see the fulfillment of His prophecy and His promises to the men, to the prophets of old, to Abraham and to David and to, to others. We have that same opportunity, right, to worship Him in spirit and in truth, but to serve Him because of what He has done for us through His Son, Jesus. Now in verses 76 through 80, right, He's going to talk about His Son, John. Here's the second section, right? He's going to talk to us about His Son, John, and then He's going to talk to us about, I'm going to put it in quotes, Jesus, Right? He's going to talk to us about the, this, this sunrise that shall visit us from on high. 
the Messiah. Zechariah begins to see perhaps the relationship between his son John and God's sending the Messiah to this earth. And he says, and you childs, can't you almost just see Zechariah turning to his son? Right? Elizabeth's probably holding him, and he just turns to him and says, and you childs will be called prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins. You're the forerunner of the Messiah, this one that's going to visit us from on high. Now, the implication here, if He's the forerunner, that means He's going before right, the Messiah, he's going before Jesus, but that the implication is that they're both moving in the same direction, right? And so that means that they're both part of God's plan, they're both fulfilling God's plan of salvation for his people, and John is going before the God of Israel because he's going before the salvation that is tied to the Messiah, and there's two reasons why that he is the forerunner, and John is going to understand this, we'll see this when we look at the life and ministry of John later on in Luke. But he goes to prepare his, prepare his ways. John's going to prepare the way for God's coming in the form of Jesus. He's going to clear the way for him and all the things that God is going to do through his Messiah. He's laying the groundwork as it is. He's prepping the lands, if it is, if you would think of it that way. He's going to prepare the way, but he's going to give knowledge. The second reason, he's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. This message that John is going to have, this man who lives out in the wilderness, eats locusts and honey, wears camel skins, right? this man has a message, and the message is from the Lord's. And that message is regarding the knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. He's going to call the people to repent. He's prepping the people for the message that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to bring. It's not just theory, right? It's not just this kind of thinking kind of ideas here. It's deeply inward. It goes right in to the heart. It's this personal understanding that, that Zechariah has here that John is going to prepare the way and he's going to give knowledge to the people of salvation for the forgiveness of their sins. So right there, see, it's not just political, right? It's, it's spiritual. This, this salvation from sin is, is such a greater freedom and such a greater salvation than political salvation. Salvation involves the forgiveness of sins. That's true salvation. And that forgiveness, you, you need to understand where you stand before God and, and the forgiveness that you need for your sins because that's a precondition almost to having peace with God. It's this product of, of repentance and turning to God, and that's going to be John's message. Repent, repent, repent. 
And in verse 78, it's because of the tender mercy of our gods. Right? As, as you read this, as you go back through, and I would encourage you to go back through and read this again this afternoon, look at all the times that Zechariah uses inclusive language, we, us, our. Right? He's not setting himself apart, he's including himself with his people. But it's, it's the tender mercy of God. Now, that, that, that tender mercy piece is really kind of fun to think about. And we talked about this a little bit at Sermon Application Team. So I feel like we have to, I have to say it now, right? That, that idea of tender mercy is, is the, the concept is bowels, right? So it's, it's, the, it's the bowel mercy of God, right? And that can be kind of gross, right, to think about. But the idea behind that idiom, right, is the sense, is the sense that, like, that mercy, that tender mercy, it's just it's, it's in God so deep. It's just who he is. It oozes out. He loves to show it. He can't help himself but show mercy. And it's the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Right? There's, that's Messiah language. Right? Again, John, Zechariah doesn't know, but he knows that God is raising up a horn of salvation from the house of David. Right? But there's somebody who's coming and the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The Messiah is going to appear and going to visit to help because of the tender mercy of our God. He's coming to help us because we can't help ourselves. We're lost. We're helpless without Him. But God is going to act on our behalf. He's going to send a guiding heavenly light to, to, to lead us, to lead the people into God's way of peace. There's two purposes that this Messiah is going to fulfill. Number one is to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Right? They're in this dark situation that they find themselves in. There's political oppression. They're there because of their sin. Sin is rampant within the nation, within their communities. And this, this imagery makes it very clear that this Messiah, just as in the morning when the sun rises and pushes back the darkness of night, this Messiah is going to appear and He's going to push back the darkness of oppression and of evil and of sin. And, and it's physical but it's spiritual. He's going to be lights. Read John 1, verses 6 through 9. John captures that image beautifully of Jesus being the light. So as he gives light to those who, he gives light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet. There's that inclusive language again, second purpose, to, into, into the way of peace. He's not just going to make things brighter. He's going to point us in the way that we need to go. So that we can live a life of peace. John the Baptist prepares the way for the one who's going to give light and the one who's going to, to guide. And so the implication here is, is, is this, and that people are in darkness. 
people find themselves in death. People find themselves with a lack of peace because of their sin. Right, so we, we, can, we can take that and we can apply that to the opportunities that we have here at TBC, the opportunities that you have each and every day to be a light for the gospel, right, to point people to Christ, right, to, to be almost to be like a forerunner, right, to, to prepare people, right, because you may just be, you may be planting seeds, right, but God may be using you to water seeds, Right? It's going to be God who gives the growth, right? but He's using you. You have an opportunity to serve Him in that way. But the understanding is, is that we people are in sin. People lack peace. And I believe when you, when you look at some of the things that we see in our world, some of the things that we see in our culture, right? it's people just wanting peace. Like they're, they're, they're desperate for it, and they're going to try to find it any way they can. Right? But as they're doing it, right, they're, they're not looking to the, one who, the only one who can give that peace, which is Jesus. They're looking everywhere else but. Right? And it's easy to, to, to look at that and to see that and to point that out in our world, right? but we better start in our own hearts, and realize that there are times in our lives, there's times in my life when I am searching for peace in every other way except through Christ and His gospel. I can figure this one out on my own. But it's Jesus who came to light the way and to point the way. The Messiah, it's Jesus who's going to lead people to God. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus who's going to lead people into the way of peace. Right? Nobody else. We're, we're helpless. Right? It's the tender mercy of God in our lives to show us Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're a believer, then you, you've, seen, you've seen the light. Praise God that He's opened up your, your heart and your mind to, to see the light and to recognize the light and to realize that I, I, am, I am lost without Him. I am dead in my trespasses and sin. I'm in darkness. But He shined His light and I saw His light and He saved me by His mercy. We have an opportunity to point others to that light so that God in His grace may save them by His mercy. It's a call to be serving God by pointing people to His Son. And we get to verse 80, right? And it just kind of ends. Luke is so good. Like, I, I like reading Luke. I think because Luke's very kind of systematic in the way that he writes, right? Mark's gospel is very kind of ADD, pops all over the place. But Luke is very just kind of like very regimented, right? But, but Luke, is, Luke knows what he's doing, Right, he sets the hook, right? And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Right? Well, what's going on with John? Well, just wait. Like, we'll get to him in chapter 3. Right? There's somebody more important now that we need to talk about in Luke chapter 2. Right? And we'll get to that after, after Easter. 
right? But John lives a very quiet and unassuming life, right? Kind of almost in secret, right? Until the time was right for him to appear to be the, as the forerunner and to prepare the people for the ways of the Lord and to point the people to the coming of the Messiah. So we have to think through this passage in a couple of different ways. Number one, that the salvation that God promises in this hymn, in this song of praise, in this prophecy that Zechariah gives us, right, that God in His grace and mercy has given to us so we can understand and learn from this, right, is both political and spiritual, Right, that God's salvation right, encompasses all of His creation. Right, you, you, can't, you can't separate the two of them. Right, if, you remove, if you remove the spiritual salvation that God provides to us through Christ, if you take that away and focus on the political salvation, what's that mean? Salvation comes through politics. Who's sitting down in Washington? Who's sitting up in Augusta? Who's sitting in the town hall in Damariscotta or Newcastle, any town, Nobleboro? That's where salvation comes. If you remove the spiritual piece. But if you remove the, the, that, that political piece, that earthly piece, if you will, from this, it, it leaves just this huge gap between the justice of God and the things and the sin and the brokenness of this world and, and it, people's individual responses to Him. Like they're, they're, it, it makes it awkward. It makes it weird. Right? You need both of those components, and God's salvation encompasses all of His creation. You can't just take one piece of it. He's making all things new. He's at work. And it's designed, right? God's salvation is designed to show how great He truly is and how we stand sovereign over all of His creation, over all of heaven and over all of earth. You can't separate them from the power and the salvation of God's. So Zechariah is showing us, right, that this salvation that God has promised encompasses the things that we see in this world and in this earth, but man, it goes right down into the heart of who we are as people. It's intensely personal, but whether it's tied to the things of this world or whether it's tied to the things in our own hearts, it all is rooted in the mercy of God who sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to save people from their sins. And, and, and the end goal of this, right, of this salvation, when we understand that God is working in ways that are way beyond our ways, we see Him working very personally in us and in our, and others around us, but He's at work in this world. We don't see, but He's at work, right? But when we, when we experience that salvation, when we experience that redemption, right, the, the response is not, that's cool, and you lean back and put your feet up. I guess I'm all set. I've got my fire insurance. I'm good. No, the goal is to serve them. Right? He freed them so that they might 
serve Him in holiness and reverence. If you understand what God has done, if you're beginning to understand what God is doing in this world and in your lives, you're going to want to serve Him. It oozes. You, 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 can't help, you can't help but serve Him and point people to Christ. Our salvation is because of the mercy of God. And when we understand the mercy of God, then we're going to want to serve Him because we understand that we don't deserve the mercy that He's shown us. So we must therefore show our gratitude by serving Him and pointing others to that mercy and to Christ. Right? And we live, right? And so this is why this, is, this can be sometimes hard to preach because we live on the other, we know how the story ends. That Jesus was the Messiah. He really did come. He lived a perfect, sinless life in perfect obedience to the Father. He was the offspring of Abraham. He was the son of David's. He was the one who fulfills all of God's promises. He's the one who fulfills the prophecies of the prophets of old that were spoken generation after generation after generation as they beat the drum of God's mercy to provide salvation for His people. That compels us to live differently. We understand that we've been rescued from our sins. We understand that we've been brought out of darkness into His glorious light. And, and we see things differently. We understand that there are people walking around in this world who are in darkness. There are people in this world that are striving and longing for peace. And God gives us opportunity to serve Him by pointing these people to Christ and to the light of Jesus and to the salvation, to the only person who can bring them peace. It's a call to action for the church. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. Lord, I thank you for the challenges of your words. Lord, I thank you that you are a merciful God who is faithful to your promises. Lord, as I prayed at the beginning, Lord, I pray that we would not take this for granted, that we would not take your word for granted, we would not take your faithfulness for granted, we would never take your mercy for granted. Lord, that we would stand in awe of your mercy. Lord, that we would talk about your mercy, that we would point others to Christ and to the only one who can bring peace, lasting peace. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.